the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, serves as past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on Aging. She's a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, and they have just released their comprehensive report. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology and over 25 years' experience in the field of aging or caregiving. And she is one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. And Carol, as always, it is great to see you. It is wonderful to see you and to be on the, in the podcast radio with you, even though no one else can see us. <laughs> That's exactly right, because we see each other, but everybody else just hears us. So that'll work. Now, we've got a big event coming up on November 4th, and I don't want to let time go by without mentioning uh, the WellMed Charitable Foundation Caregiver Summit. Yes, our Caregiver SOS Summit every year, and and our guest today, Carol Levine, was a a keynote speaker for us uh, in the past, but it's another year, uh, and we're going to be hosting that November the 4th. It's all virtual. All the information is at caregiversos.org. And it is free. And it's free. It's virtual. It's easy. And for healthcare professionals, there are CMEs available. They can get credit for it. So that's pretty cool. Well, let's welcome our special guest, Carol Levine, a senior fellow of the United Hospital Fund. In 1993, Carol was awarded a MacArthur Foundation Fellowship for her work in AIDS policy and ethics. I mentioned that because just recently, uh, the newest of the MacArthur Fellows was announced. Carol, in her work, uh, serves as a writer, a researcher, and a consultant in family caregiving and health policy. And we could do the rest of the show with just her incredible credentials. So, Why don't we move on and welcome Carol Levine. And Carol, it is always good to see you. What we want to talk about is in response to a response that you wrote, talking about the role of family caregivers in patient-provider communications. What does that mean? Well, that means, Ron, and first of all, let me say how great it is to be back with you, too. Thank you. Um, That usually... The thought of being of communication between uh, patient and caregiver, patients and f- providers is is between those two people. Um, you go to the doc, you take your elderly mom or elderly dad or your elderly husband, or you go yourself <laughs> with yeah. somebody, and you sit in the waiting room. And meanwhile, those two are talking. But but the person who is 
the family caregiver has so much to contribute to that conversation if only they are prepared and welcomed. So I, I think that's a, a, an area that is not well uh, understood. It's, it's given, uh, you know, rhetoric, oh, we're all in this as a team. What does it mean when it happens? The most one of the most important parts of the team is sitting on the bench all the time, never in the play. So I think this commentary, I think, gave me a chance to express something that I have both experienced as a patient and as a caregiver and feel very strongly about. Well, um, Carol, talk a little bit for those who weren't able to join us um, the last time you were on the show. <laughs> Talk a little bit about your experience as a caregiver, because, you know, that that really um, sort of changed changed you, I think, that whole experience. Oh, definitely. I was a caregiver for my late husband who had a severe brain injury in an automobile accident and was left quadriplegic. And he had been a very vibrant professional PR man and um, used to speaking to anyone just anyone. But when this happened, and we had to see a doctor after his release from the hospital, the doctors didn't listen to him and they didn't listen to me, but they expected me to do everything. So it was kind of like this, this isn't right. He can understand. So you do have to respect him to the doctor. So I was very unhappy with that relationship. Um, but when it came to myself, um, more recently, I've had to have some medical treatments, and I'm alone. And so I've, hey, I was 17 years taking care of him. What's this five days in a, in a radiation treatment program? So my children, I have to say, were smarter than I was. <laughs> and they said, you cannot do this by yourself. We will help you. And after some convincing, I understood that it was important. It was really made the difference between my feeling confident, feeling that I had my concerns expressed, and feeling that they understood what I was going through. So it it, it's com it comes around. <laughs> when you start to do it one way, you'll find it coming around another way. So what you're saying, Carol, uh, a caregiver cannot really be their own caregiver. As a caregiver, you need to think about maintaining your own health and well-being. That's easy to say, and everybody says it, but what do they do to make that possible? And that is very hard because each person is different, and uh, each person has different needs, but by being attentive to what the caregiver is saying and saying sometimes not in words, but in attitudes, in gestures, in uh, looking a little bit sadder than usual. You can find out what, what kind of help is needed. Um, and sometimes it's just listening to somebody talking about it. Sometimes it's really practical help. Stay with it just a minute. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Carol Levine, Senior Fellow of the United Hospital Fund. And she is with us on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline.
Here's something caregivers don't often think about. Can you have hope, humor, and peace in caregiving? I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. Can we? Well, at our 2021 Virtual Caregiver Summit, we're going to find the joy and humor in lots of caregiving situations with our keynote speakers, Loretta Woodward-Vini and Donna Cardillo. It all takes place November 4th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on your local family computer. And you'll have CEUs if you're a healthcare professional. The Caregiver Summit is available at no cost. For registration, just go to caregiversos.org and you can be a part of it. So, Carol Zernia, why should folks sign up? Well, caregiving can be difficult and we can feel better and be better caregivers with a few tricks under our belt. And this is the place to come for those special tricks. It's free. You can be part of the action for the Caregiver Summit. To register, go to caregiversos.org. CEUs for healthcare folks. Hello, friend. Well, we are rocking right along here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Delighted you're with us. Delighted you're sticking with us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we have a very special guest. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Carol Levine, Senior Fellow of the United Hospital Fund, and she was a 1993 winner, awardee for the MacArthur Foundation Fellowship for her work in AIDS policy and ethics. And we've been talking about caregiver, provider, and PCP and patient communications. And one of the things that Carol brought up, and it's critically important, is the need for the caregiver to be involved in all of these doctor-patient discussions. Uh, and, and yet a lot of PCPs and even caregivers don't know how to go about that. So, uh, Carol, you've got some ideas on how to facilitate that. I think the first thing to do, think about, is how to prepare care for a discussion with a provider. That may be a regular routine visit. I think in the caregiver literature, we pay a lot of attention to the big decision-making meetings, but, you know, most of healthcare is in between those big decisions and it's routine, but being routine doesn't mean not important. And I think it's important for both the caregiver and the patient to agree upon what is going to be brought up to the provider that might not be on the provider's agenda, but that is important to both of them. And that takes a discussion um, and maybe some compromise about things that um, maybe the patient doesn't want to bring up, doesn't want the uh, provider to know about, and the caregiver thinks it's important. But I think that's really a key step. And the second thing is to make sure that you start with some of the things that are really important to you. And I often hear doctors and nurses tell me they're out the door and then they say, oh, by the way, and then the most important thing is in the by the way. So think of that, bringing that by the way item up front, and that will have a better chance of getting heard, getting discussed, and getting a getting um, a, a solution for. Um, the, the other thing is to follow up. And if there's something about a new medication or getting a medication, uh, any of those things that seem routine, 
but you encounter problems, let the provider's office know and ask for someone to help you understand what it is. Or if there's a medication problem, uh, the patient doesn't like it, doesn't want it, talk about it with them. So it's really a question of treating every encounter with the provider as important as the end-of-life decision-making because it is, and it and it uh, guides what happens later on. I think providers are getting much better at listening and much better at um, trying to understand what is going on, not only with the patient's medical situation, but with their social situation as well. Well, Carol, you know, I think the the suggestion about really kind of getting your ducks in order and thinking about the visit in advance, maybe people aren't thinking about that, or sometimes we overthink it. But tell me, have you ever had the experience as a caregiver where you felt like you were the caregiver who asked too many questions? When I was the caregiver for my mother, (laughs) I was that caregiver who asked too many questions, and that did not put me in a good place to get the information I wanted. Yes, I think, oh, Carol, um, you and I are very similar in this. Um, you know, I was desperate for answers, and the truth was there were no answers for someone in my husband's situation. So what I think one has to do is prioritize what are the things that are causing the most problems or that you feel most insecure about that you really need to talk about. And then maybe, um, maybe another person in the practice can help you with them. But if you've got a burning issue and with someone perhaps with dementia, there are a lot of those, make sure you get those out first and, and, be attentive to the fact that providers do have limited time. So use that time wisely um, and and productively. You know, one of the things that uh, is the elephant in the room, doesn't it make sense to come in with questions written down so that you've got a list to cover? Uh, and, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else with the, oh, by the way, as I walk out of the exam room, if you've got them written down, uh, odds are you'll be able to cover them. <laughs> well, I think anything that helps you keep on track will be useful. My guess is that if you write them down, they will be for, hold them up in front of the um, of the provider and say, "Now I have a list of ten questions," and, and kind of scare them. So, so use it, but use it. Um, carefully and and uh, and with you know with some empathy for the provider who really does generally want to help, but you can't make it hard for them. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I I agree. There's there's sort of this push and pull in this relationship physician because of their time limited, but and your need to know. I had a caregiver that I was working with. Um, really frustrated and feeling like that they rarely got their questions answered, that it was just too much on the other side. And I I asked him, I said, so the next time you go in, say, you know, I don't feel like I'm being heard. And for that caregiver, that made all the difference. When he's told the provider, I don't feel like I'm being heard. The provider really did stop and listen. And he was able to get those few important questions out. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Um, I wish that every provider had a medical nursing, whatever school course in listening, because that is the skill that is so um, underutilized and under under recognized in in medical care, um, and yet it is the mo- it is the key. If you listen, and I take listening as to include watching, seeing what how someone's in the chair, whether they get tense about a certain question, that's really part of listening. And it makes a huge difference. In the um, event that I talked about earlier, when I had uh, my daughter with me at at my children's request, having my daughter in the room with me at the provider's question, he said, do you have someone with you today? And would you like to have that person in the room with us? Oh, I said, yes, that would be wonderful, because other, otherwise it would not have happened. I would not have made the um, inquiry because I'm, you know, I can handle it myself. I can do this. But no, it was so much better. So the, that's just a simple question. Is there someone with you today? Would you like to have that person here? Maybe you say no. Maybe it's just a neighbor and you don't want to. But if it's someone you trust and someone who really needs to know what's going on, absolutely. Then you have, a, you have someone else to verify what you've heard. Now, a while ago, you said that you thought providers were doing a better job of listening and including caregivers in the exam room. Uh, is there a way that we can facilitate even more of that? And I know it's something that you've been looking at for a lot of years in your work. Well, I I think that it has improved, but it's not anywhere near what it should be. And there was a recent study of um, healthcare executives and clinicians all across the country asking them whether they thought that um, family members should be part of the healthcare team. That would include being in the exam room. And it, about over 80% said absolutely. And then they asked, well, does your healthcare system pr- do that? Oh, well, now we got down to 20% who did that. So, so it's, it's in the idea, it's in the ideal, but it's not necessarily in the practice. And I have to say that, you know, Having the person in the exam room, having the caregiver in the exam room may not be comfortable for the caregiver. And so that has to be respected, too. But you can have an exam go go on and then you can have a discussion about what came, what came out of that exam that will keep everybody feeling uh, res- that their dignity was pr- protected, that there wasn't anything untoward about it. So it's up to the people involved to sort of say, I'd prefer if we can do it this way or that way. And then everybody will feel a little bit more comfortable and, and be freer in talking about what's really important for them. A few years ago, we talked with you about how some providers and other healthcare professionals used HIPAA as an excuse not to involve yes. somebody else in those discussions when the patient can always waive HIPAA, no big deal. Well, the the patient can waive HIPAA only in some ways, but the truth is that HIPAA doesn't apply to, um, it applies to 
it doesn't apply to conversations between providers and um, say uh, family members. It applies to providers and talking to other providers. So the CARE Act, which is the way of, uh, of trying to get hospital staff to recognize and uh, document the fact that there is a caregiver, will ask whether um, it's okay to share information with the caregiver. And that's really not a HIPAA issue, but it gets put into that category. And I think that if it's asked and a provider explains to the patient, this is about your current care. This isn't about something that happened to you 30 years ago and you're not ready to talk about it now. It's about now. What this caregiver needs to know to make sure you get the right care at home. Um, then it's a lot easier to deal with. Well, and I think that that, that you know, the HIPAA issue is it's important and we, we need we still need education for caregivers as well as clinic yes. staff. You know, yes. I was I can remember being in the hospital room with my father asking about something and they said, well, we can't tell you because of HIPAA. And my dad's laying in the hospital bed going, tell her and the staff person is going, I can't. Because no, of that's, HIPAA. that's wrong. That's wrong. Wrong, <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. Yeah, it's wrong in so many ways. And so, yeah. you know, if, if you don't know that, if you, yeah. we just, we still have a ways to go, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, caregivers can be both overly aggressive, as you were mentioning before, um, or overly intimidated uh, by what, you know, someone says to you. And so, well, they must know more than I do. But they don't necessarily. And they there's like urban legends. There are hospital legends that get passed down from one one staff member to another that sound right, but aren't really right. And it takes a long time to, you know, to get that um, truth and the reality, which isn't to say that HIPAA isn't important, but it's not it's not meant to a bar important communication between a patient and a person who's going to be taking care of them really not meant to do that. So, yeah. I was going to say, Carol, when you end up in a situation where Carol found herself, where dad says, tell her, Carol says, tell her, uh, and the provider doesn't want to, what are your options? Well, I think the options are to go to a patient advocate and say, look, they're, they're not letting my father's wishes be implemented. He wants me to know this, and I need to know this. And so what can you do to, you know, make this happen? Um, and I think that it, at least start with the patient advocacy office um, and take it to a higher level if you need to, because um, you don't. It, things that are barring things that are good for the patient, good for the caregiver, doesn't make sense for anybody. Right, right. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking about, you know, how difficult communication is under the best of circumstances and how in a hospital, you know, in a healthcare setting, there's so many different people involved and it's not right. the same people right. every time. So no wonder right. things kind of get tricky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, it is. It is a, a, an environment that is does not automatically lend itself to good communication practices. So you have to work at it. And as a caregiver, you can, in a nice, non-confrontational way, try to set up a system that works for them, 
but that really works for you and your family member, whoever that might be, because it's so critical. Could put myself in this situation. You get home, remember, because I was watching my husband's reaction, and he, I could see he's not happy with it. And I'm saying, oh, I better tell him that he's not going to like this. And it, you get all tangled up in your own immediate reactions and don't get the right information. So it's it's part of the territory, but that means that you have to work at it and both have to work at it. And I think it's fair to ask a provider what, what works best for you and would you like to have a, 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 a phone call follow-up or would you like to um, meet with me after the exam or what would work for you best? And that might might help. Let me shift gears for a minute because Carol, you were telling me off the air that uh, you just love a book that uh, Carol Levine was involved in. Tell us about that. Well, um, yeah, I, I, there is a book that Carol Levine, it was an anthology. She wrote the first anthology of caregiver stories um, and the poetry. It's Living in the Land of Limbo. Living in the Land of Limbo. Living in the Land of Limbo. And I recommend that to anyone who is interested in caregiving. Uh, and we give it to some of our caregivers. And we keep copies in the office to give to our caregivers. Cool. Well, you get the last word. Carol Levine, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We thank you for being here on Caregiver SOS On Air, and we will talk with you soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Here's an offer caregivers can't refuse. How about a little hope, humor, and peace in caregiving? I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernia, what do you think? Well, our 2021 Virtual Caregiver Summit will feature Loretta Woodward-Vini and Donna Cardillo, who are going to help us find the joy in caregiving. November 4th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's free. You can be part of the action for the Caregiver Summit with Ron Aaron and Carol Zernia. Join us to register. Go to caregiversos.org. CEUs for healthcare folks. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.